What's up, guys? I'm Jared Lopes, and you're listening to the Dad Tired Podcast, where I'm helping everyday families learn how to follow Jesus in everyday life. How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. It is good to be with you. If you're new to the Dad Tired Podcast, you just stumbled upon it. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Uh, We'd love to have you come hang out with us. You can do that by going to dadtired.com. Click the community tab. That will link you over to a closed group that we have on Facebook with thousands of guys from around the world who are taking their faith, their family, and their marriage very seriously. Uh, we had about a hundred guys just this last week, come hang out with there. Again, we have thousands of guys from around the world, 62 different countries represented within that little online, um, closed Facebook group. So if you're not part of that already, come hang out with us there. We'd love to have you come be part of that, be encouraged by it and offer some encouragement. Also, if you haven't picked up the dad tired devotional, it's called stop behaving a 28 day devotional for men. We'd love to have you pick that up as well. Uh, the premise of the book is essentially that we're not asking you to just simply change your behavior or follow more rules. We think guys already know what to do and what not to do. I think based on my own life and my own experience and my own junk and crap that I've gone through and what I've experienced in just um, pastoring and being friends with a lot of other guys uh, is that we, we actually need our hearts to be changed and we can't change our heart and your wife can't change your heart and a church can't change your heart. What you need is Jesus to change your heart. And so what I did in the devotional is just try to point you back to Jesus um, and remind you of the gospel and the good news. And uh, I'm not giving you a bunch of rules to follow or like shaming you or beating you over the head or tell you to step up or man up or anything like that. I'm just reminding you, like I'm trying to remind myself and have other guys remind me um, that I desperately need Jesus. And I think that when we do that, when other people do that, remind us of who Jesus is and the good news of the gospel, that Jesus can change our hearts. And as a result of heart change, our behavior changes. And man, that lasts way longer and way deeper than just simply following rules. So if you haven't picked up the devotional, it's called Stop Behaving. You can get it on dadtire.com. Today, I've got an interview with a guy named Jeff Bethke, super talented young guy. He's only 28 years old, but has wisdom way beyond his years. He started on YouTube. He started to put some spoken word poetry videos on YouTube, one in particular that really blew up um, and took off. It was called Why I Love Jesus But Hate Religion. Uh, It's been viewed tens of millions of times by people around the world. He ended up writing a book on that same topic that turned into a New York Times bestseller. Again, he's only 28, uh, but he's married. He's got two kids. Just an incredible heart for Jesus, man. The guy is so humble, um, loves the Lord, and God is just using him in really big ways to reach a lot of people and to speak into our generation. There aren't that many voices, young voices, speaking to our generation. We've got a lot of guys ahead of us, a lot of girls, uh, women ahead of us who are doing great, putting out great stuff, um, but we don't have a lot of young voices speaking into our generation, and he's one of them. So I'm excited for him to drop some wisdom and truth to us today. Um, So without further ado, here's my interview with Jeff Bethke. Jeff, super excited to have you on the show today, man. Uh, I just gave you a short introduction, but in your own words, tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, So me and my wife, Alyssa, have been married five years, got two kids under a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. Kind of wear many hats in the vocation sense. You know, you can say author, YouTuber, podcaster. I just kind of say I like creating new media type things for people to think about Jesus differently. Um, And then we live in Maui, Hawaii, and very much, um, I would say, the main core of vocation or ministry or whatever word you want to use would just be the fact that I just want to try my hardest to follow Jesus authentically and have a really 
um, strong marriage and, and, and strong family. Cause I think that everything else flows from there for sure. So I would say all the other stuff, the YouTube, the writing, all that stuff, it's kind of just additional tangential stuff that is born out of our marriage and family. But, um, but yeah, that's us. And that's where we're living right now. And just kind of do that on a day to day basis. Which is fun, dude. Like, so there's so many of us who are following you on social media and Instagram and we get kind of the behind the scenes look at you and your family. And it's just, it's cool to like peek behind the curtain, just watch you be a dad, watch you be a husband and engage with your family. Super cool to watch that from afar. But uh, you just wrote a new book with your wife. Tell us about it. We did. Yeah. So I've written a couple books separately and she's written one book um, uh, before we co-authored this one. And so, yeah, this one was just born out of a Kind of a, this one felt most natural for us to write together just because it's on relationships and sexuality and marriage and dating. Um, it definitely isn't a marriage book in the sense of like, you know, we've only been married five years, so we don't got much to talk about that. But I do think um, but I do think we talk about those first five years and we talk about dating and we talk about, you know, issues of sexuality that we've had to walk through and um, our, how much our upbringings affect our marriage and all that stuff. So we um, yeah, we kind of wanted it to be very heavy memoir biography with a lot of what we've learned in it. But again, like I said, still very early in our marriage. So still, uh, I, I've been joking in some interviews where I almost say it could have been, could have been uh, titled love that last question mark just because it's like, we don't, we don't know, you know, we're kind of, we're kind we're kind of in the, the thick and the trenches. Tr- like that's what the book's angle is. It's kind of like, Hey, we're, we're in the middle of this and we are hoping that we're putting ourselves on a trajectory intentionally that will get us there. Um, and we're starting to see some baby fruit compared to some peers or friends who maybe I would say aren't setting themselves up on that foundation and already seeing kind of some cracks in that system. So again, it's not like we're at the finish line, but I think we're far enough down the road now in our dating relationship and married relationship eight years now where we can see, okay, we were making some choices that are starting to reap benefits and fruit. And so let's talk about that. And hopefully let's see if there's something there. Yeah, dude. So good. And so the book is like super raw. It's super gritty. I think in the, the very first pages, you talk about losing your virginity, chapter one, <laughs> sentence one. Uh, yeah, it's literally the first <laughs> sentence, which I mean, I was like, you know, that that, that one was a tough one because I was like, I, I mean, I actually have no problem being that vulnerable. I think anyone who reads my stuff or watches our videos, but that definitely is as far on the spectrum as you can get. And then I was like, man, first line in the book. But I just, I, I, so like it was taken out, it was put back in, it was taken out, it was put back in. And then I think we just realized like, that's the book we want to write. We want to write a book that doesn't feel, and again, especially because we're in the middle of it, like we don't have this super sage wisdom to share as 60 year olds. But I think what we do have is because we're so in the middle of it, the messiness and the rawness still feels very, um, right in front of us or still feels very much like, Hey, we're still walking through this. So I think we just realized that's the most authentic book we can write is the one where we're sharing the stuff that we've had to go through just the last, you know, five years, which a lot of marriage books don't, you know, those are, they talk about struggles that are 40 years ago. And uh, to be frank with how much cultural shift there is like that, there's a disconnect there in some sense. Cause it's like, you know, those, those books don't even, those books don't even talk about phones in the bedroom and Snapchat and pornography and things that actually 30 year olds marriages have to deal with because those 60 year olds never dealt with that stuff and don't have to, you know? Yep. It's so true. And there's very few voices like speaking gospel centered truth in the midst of, uh, that just makes sense to us in like 2017 yeah. to our generation, yeah, to the millennial generation and uh, those behind what is, what's behind the millennial generation. I forget. I think it's like, is it X or is that the one ahead of us? I don't know. Uh, or Z? I think it's Z. Z. Maybe. Uh, the, G, the, G, the Generation <laughs> Z. I'm almost positive. But yeah, it's, it is funny. And yeah, and I think that's something that we we just, that's kind of our heartbeat right now. Hey, we don't have a ton to give and share, but I think the fact that just doing it 
regardless is what can speak to people of just like, like, Hey, you're not alone, you know, and there's someone who's walked through that or is walking through that. Yeah, dude. So in one of the, the, the chapter, well, in a lot of the chapters, but one specifically, you talk about your addiction to pornography. You said you even had a hard time calling it addiction, like be, like using those words. It was hard to like actually say those words out loud mm-hmm. that I had an addiction to pornography. We have so many guys. I probably get at least an email a day from a guy yeah. who's struggling with pornography and just feels like hopeless towards it. Um, but one of the you just like put it into such beautiful terms in the way that you talked about addiction to pornography and why it's so toxic. Uh, it, that sounds weird, like saying beautiful and addiction no, to pornography in the yeah, same yeah. sentence, but, uh, you, you talked about it in relation to like intimacy, intimacy with, uh, humans, with our wife, with our spouse, mm-hmm. with God. Um, can you kind of give us your thoughts on why porn is so destructive to God's design for human relationship and intimacy and sex? Yeah, totally. And I think, I mean, you even alluded to something that I think was a journey that I had to go on, which did help in that journey was that like, you know, the layer behind the layer behind the layer isn't just the fact that like porn is just like kind of another version of sex. That's just people say is bad. It's not, that's not what it is. It actually at its very core, it's a fundamental like miswiring of how sex was created to be because sex at its core is very much about this level of depth and intimacy. And, you know, it's kind of like a trite pastor way to remember it. But the best way I remember intimacy being defined is into me, you see, and it's like, that's super like, you know, a Sunday school version, but it works of like that. That literally is exactly what it means. It's like, there's true intimacy is when two people can see to the depths of the other person's soul. There's, and it's full nakedness, not just physically, but you know, spiritually, Mm -hmm. emotionally, mentally of like, I see all that you are. I see all that, all your crap, all your failures, all your sin, your sin, your shortcomings, your hurt, your pain, the good, the bad, whatever. And I still want you. That's intimacy. It's when it's, it's when they can actually see through you. And when two people have that, man, that's this gift of sex of like sex becomes this kind of product or this last step in regards to intimacy of like, you know, a marriage is when you have all that. And then sex is this last kind of crowning act on that, uh, uh, idea of intimacy of saying, okay, we're going to show that with our bodies. We're going to show that we see all that each other is. And we're going to say, but we're going to say two become one. We want oneness. And the reason porn is so destructive is because it literally is that like backfiring. It's a distortion because it's like literally at its core, you can't get intimacy with pornography because there's no one else there. Right. Like it's, you're, you're literally, you're literally having sex with your hand while looking at a computer like that doesn't, you literally, even if you want, like the thing you're looking for, this is what I always try to tell people is at the depth of who you are, that is what you're going to porn for your need for intimacy. But you got to understand even at the actual, like, you know, nuts and bolts of pornography level, it's, it can't give you that because there's literally not even another person there. Um, and with, and, and you can't have intimacy without another person. And so it's kind of trying to have all the benefit without all the vulnerability, which you can't have intimacy without the vulnerability. And so I think for me that didn't like make the problem go away, but I think I just saw like, Oh, I'm looking, I know what I'm, I know what I'm here looking for. And, and it's very obvious now that this cannot deliver on its promise because I'm looking for this depth of soul knowing and connectedness that just a simple biological orgasm is not going to give me. Um, and that's all porn is. It's just it, for me, it kind of cheapened it. It just showed how kind of cheap and like pseudo it is and not that that, you know, brought any more shame on me or anything. It actually brought awareness of like, oh, this 
I'm created for a lot, lot more. Jesus is sitting right next to me in the room when I'm making those choices and he knows me and sees me and loves me and wants me. And there's no shame. There's no hiding. Uh, I'm exposed. Like, like even that intimacy stuff I'm talking about, that's us with Jesus, right? Like he sees all that we are and says, I still want you in that moment. Not when you stop looking, not when you clean yourself up and not when you have like a month of, you know, uh, sobriety, but like right in that moment, I'm right there next to you and I'm grieving, he says, but I'm right there next to you. And when you understand that, I feel like, man, that just breaks the, the power of shame and sin for sure. Yeah, dude. And what was cool is it, I, I loved that in the book, you were honest enough to say that you became a Christian. You, you surrendered your life to Christ later in life, like I think 19, you said in the book. Yeah. And a lot of stuff, like the, you heard the gospel, a lot of it just immediately made sense to you. And and some of the, the sins that had been in you for a long time, immediately you didn't have a desire totally. towards. But porn was one that like just didn't go away overnight. It took like God continuing to disciple you into like what totally. it means and peeling, like you said, peeling off those layer after layer of layer. Yeah. Of, like, what am I actually searching for here? I yeah, love well, your- I mean, and I always tell people like sexuality is not our identity. That's a huge confusion that our culture is making. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's as close as you can get, meaning like it's almost just right outside of us, right outside of who we are, our core part of our being. Um, and because it's so close to identity, I think that's what makes it like the untangling of that is when it's distorted is so much harder than any other issue you can walk through. And then also the the tar part I talk about the fact that like, hey, it's an addiction. And if you treat it as such, you will find so much more freedom like you. There is biological, chemical wirings and impulses and synapse firing that need to be medically, biologically, physiologically broken down, not just spiritually, even though that is so much needed too. And you need the gospel and you need the good news and you need to know how much Jesus breaks powers of shame and darkness and pain and sin. But when you treat it like an actual addiction for what it is, I think that's when I've seen guys have a lot of freedom. And because they don't, there's this naivety, which then turns into the cycle of I want to be free, but I'm not. I want to be free, but I'm not. And so, um, yeah, I just think you have to have an all- you have to like have an all aerial assault from all levels, spiritual, biological, emotional, et cetera. And when you're walking in those journeys with community and mentors and people, then that's where usually freedom starts showing up. Yeah. And the thing you said in, in the book was, I, I'll probably misquote you here, but something to the effect of sin cannot survive in light. Um, so correct me if I like misquoted. No, that. yeah, no, it's true. And I think that's just from, you know, first John or scripture of like that, that is, there's this, there is this heat about God's holiness. And I don't mean holiness of like this Zeus figure that's just going to throw a lightning bolt down on you when you're in his presence. The cool part is we get to be in that that heat because of Jesus and it won't burn us and it won't take us to a bad place. That heat actually is life and love and beauty and grace. And that heat is the joy we're looking for. And that's cool that we can approach him in that uh, holiness um, and not be afraid or cringe back or anything like that. But, but yeah, but that, that, that heat or that light, it, 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 it burns in a good way and it very much uh, exposes darkness and sin and it can't survive. I always think of the the way to glory or um, uh, not way to glory. What's the name of the book from uh, C.S. Lewis, um, his fiction book where, Oh, great divorce where he talks about, he just has these pictures of like the people from hell, you know, it's a fictional book, but the people from hell, they can't even survive in heaven when they do, when they get off the bus in heaven, because it's so dense and so real that even heaven's blades of grass cut the people from hell's feet because it's just so like, he kind of has these pictures of like, it's so real 
and dense and glorious and full of light mm. that like that hell can't even survive there if it tried. Mm. Like it's kind of like it's hell is too weightless and too flimsy and too like non-substantial. Um, and I just love that picture because I think that's exactly what I think scripture points us towards. Yeah, and you you recommended this in the book, and I would say it too to our listeners that are the, there's inevitably guys who are listening right now who feel hopeless in their addiction to pornography. And I think the best place to start is with what we just talked about to bring it to light. It cannot survive in the light yeah. um, to expose it and to begin to treat it like you said as a as an actual addiction that has all kinds of levels to it. Uh, bring it out to the light and start to get help and move forward. Totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, so in the book you talk about, uh, it's just, I love how real it is. We get to hear your story. It's like, it's almost like biographical in, in its yeah, writing. Totally. We get to, we get to hear your story and your wife's story. Um, but constantly throughout your story, you keep referring back, like you, you almost end every chapter with some kind of gospel tie, deeply mm. tied to your identity and like your identity in Jesus and how God was taking and is taking all the brokenness and the messiness of your life and your past. And he's making it new and he's restoring it and making it beautiful. And you keep coming back to identity. And I think for a lot of guys, um, when we talk about like identity, it, it, it kind of gets tucked away into that, the churchy Sunday school pat answer, like, yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know, like, yeah, I know it, yeah. like, he, he loves me. But really what I loved about what you were doing in the book is that truth that God loves you, he delights in you, um, he calls you his son, is so real to you that it actually permeates into every single area of your life. It's not just like this weird truth that you know and it affects you on Sundays, but it affected everything. It affected the way you guys spend time together, your money, yeah. your past, everything. Um, how did you get to the point? Like, how did you get to that point? Um, or I'm sure you're still getting to that point <laughs> where, you're, where you're learning and resting in the identity of Christ. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. I kind of. I think. I think a couple things. One is I started to have this switch flipped and saw it in scripture and from community and mentors that, you know, the good news of God's kingdom breaking in, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, and the good news of the gospel, His death and resurrection, and all these huge big ideas in the scripture. Um, the the way I like to say it is, I started to realize that they were. Uh, more like oxygen than a flu shot. And I mean, a lot of us treat those things like a flu shot where you get it once and then it saves you from things in your future, but you never come back to it. Mm. When oxygen is like you try to go five seconds without oxygen and you'll die. You know, it's like it's you need it. Like the oxygen you breathed yesterday is not going to do anything for you today, um, right. even though you can continue to build on going forward because you're breathing. And so it's kind of this cool picture of that's what God's truth is, is you have to breathe it in, live in it, marinate in it. And then also the fact that like identity is so foundational and that's just so clear in scripture. You know, you look at God himself, Jesus, you know, before Jesus himself, who was God, who was sinless, who was perfect, could enter into his public ministry, you know, going and doing these crazy things that literally is the reason for our whole faith. He had to hear first, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And God gave that to him before he did anything, right? Like Jesus lived 30 years and not to be like sacrilegious or anything, but Jesus kind of lived 30 years, like not doing anything by, by, you know, church traditional standards of ministry. Right. It's like, he literally kind of wasted 30 years, you know, and obviously he didn't, but I mean, from a worldly standpoint, we can easily, if we, if that was us, we would be like, oh man, he's not really using his talents and gifts, you know, and right, stuff like that. Right. But, um, yeah, it was like he, he did that and then, and then he heard like doing nothing and God still said in that, this is my son in whom I'm well, son in whom I'm well pleased. And that is what empowered him to then go forward and live like he, like he needed that first voice before he could go, before he could live in full, 
saturation of his identity, which he was going to need for the next three years, you know, for, yeah. you know, the kingdom breaking in and the cross and the resurrection. And so I just think, yeah, I think you have to start there. You have to have that as a foundation. And dads need to know who they are, what God says about them as husbands, as fathers, as men, as image bearers of God before they can rightfully walk in all those identities. So good, dude. Yeah, God's not looking down saying because you're you're like performing or behaving well as a husband or dad, I'm like super proud of you. He's just saying I'm super proud of you because I made you and I love you and I delight in you. And and as a result, that changes the way that we behave. It changes the way that we parent and that we, that we totally. treat our wives. And dude, yeah. such good truth. Yeah, that's that's a really good perspective. Uh, I loved in the book where you talk about you you were talking about you and Alyssa and in your guys' dating relationship. And when you said that you first kind of got into the relationship, you felt like you were on, on the job training. You had never been in a healthy relationship yeah. before. You didn't know what it looked like to like have a healthy, godly, um, you know, dating relationship. Totally. And I, I, I was thinking about it and then you actually alluded to it later in the book, but, um, marriage is like the same way for so many of us, as we were just talking about oh, our yeah. generation there. I think you said in the book and the stats are like, you know, super clear one in four people don't have dads or that dads yeah. aren't around. You know, there's just so many of us who didn't have our dads around and we, there's tons of us who come from broken families. Yeah. And so for a lot of us, we're like on the job training in our marriage. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we got married. My wife came from a broken family. I came yeah. from a broken family. We got married. And now we're like trying to figure out what it means to live this godly, healthy marriage without having any real example of that. Uh, and then you put kids on top of that and you, you know, now you're trying to like raise kids and be married. And we just yep. have, we have no reference point for that. But one thing you talk about all the time, and you've actually even alluded to it in this interview is mentors. You keep saying yeah. mentors, mentors, mentors. Um, how do you like go about finding mentors? Why is it so important to have mentors? Yeah. Uh, for us, like, you know, for the couples in their twenties and thirties, like where do you even beginning begin to find, uh, older, wiser people than you? Totally. And yeah, I mean, I would say our entire marriage and our family life and the way we treat our kids and train our kids and believe about family, it's literally all because of mentors of older, godly mm. men, women, married couples who have, you know, we've asked to pour into us, who have poured into us. And it's it's hard. I will say that there's a lot of time. I, I know I know a lot of my peers and friends will say that of like, man, where and how and that is a that is a difficulty of finding that. But I think one, if you're pursuing it, God will honor that. It might take time, like it might take a couple of years for God to really bring in the perfect match in some sense and to cultivate certain people's hearts and all that. But he will honor that. So the first thing is, man, are you even trying to pursue that? And if you are, then yeah, seek that out, either in it's in your church, in small groups, maybe it's just someone you know in your family or whatever, or it's someone you need to email. I don't know. Um, but the main thing I would say is find a marriage and a family you want to look like in 30 years and then just ask them if you can hang out with them. Mm -hmm. I think we make it too formal of like, hey, can you get coffee with me every week? And I know for me, it's like I don't want to get coffee. Like if someone younger than me asks me that, like like if I'm like as if I'm a mentor, I'm like, no, I don't want to get coffee with you because that that takes me away from my family and my and my wife. Like, right. like I don't like, you know, and not to be rude, but I just mean like I I don't have that much time in the day. And so, and that's, that's even more true of people who are 30, 40 and 50 and older than us of like, instead of trying to call them away from their job and whatever, and maybe they can, if you know that and they want to go meet with you, do that. But I'm just saying the best thing I think is to enter into their space of say, Hey, can we just like 
can we just be at your table for family dinners once or twice a month? Mm -hmm. Can we come over, you know, 30 minutes before you put the kids down and stay and, you know, help out and then stay, you know, two hours after they go down and, you know, drink coffee and dessert and talk about life, whatever. Like I think just entering into more their house and their rhythms, which is something that we've tried to do is so much more transformative than just like, tell me how to be a good dad or a husband. Cause that is really helpful. But it's like when you actually see how those people are dads and husbands and wives and mothers and, that's what really transforms you is really putting yourself in the place of, okay, I want to be like them. I want my family to look like that. So let's just go hang out with them. You know, and I think that does more than you think it does. Yeah. I always used to say like, I, I grew up playing music and so, uh, I know you grew up playing baseball, so you could use the, the analogy of like, I could, somebody could come up to me and say, Jared, how do you play music? Or for you, how do you, you know, teach me how to play baseball? And we could meet yeah. over coffee once a week and read baseball books or I could like, yeah. Read and it music. will help in some sense, but it's not, yeah. 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 Or we can like go out to the field and throw some baseballs around or sit behind a drum set and hit some stuff and you're going to learn. Exactly. And and that for Layla and I, we want to be in community with people who are older and and who have been in the game, have more skin in the game than us. There's been a lot of times where we've like, we've been disciplining our kids or uh, we've had like marriage fights in the middle of a community dinner and stuff, you know, and like just on the the spot training, like where they're just like, dude, here, here's how you could handle that. Or Jared, next time when your kids act this way, like try this, you know, and it's, it's super helpful to like live those real life scenarios out. Exactly. But, yeah. But I agree with you. Uh, mentors is huge and, uh, it's worth pursuing and it's worth pursuing more than a once a week coffee date. Although exactly. that is helpful. No, it is. It is. I think, I think to really get, um, and I think it just comes down to, you know, the actual, a more meta conversation about learning. Like when you actually look at the world of Jesus in the first century with rabbis and stuff like that, mm-hmm. Jesus never, ever, ever once in three years said, let me get out the whiteboard and draw a diagram. <laughs> and that's <laughs> right. something we have to wrestle with because that's something that we very much in America want. Yep. And it's like, okay, well, if our own Lord did not teach like that, he taught more of like kind of on the way while he was walking, meaning like it was very much like, oh, look at that cornfield. Oh, look at this seed oh, this just happened in front of us. Let's talk about this lady that's pouring some perfume on my feet. Like it's very much like, and that's what I think same with family and fatherhood and being a husband is like, it's very much like in that type of setting. Yeah. You talk about in the book, uh, there's a cool section where you're talking about how you and Alyssa, you you, cultivating your garden. And that comes Mm -hmm. from Genesis where you're just figuring out like, okay, God has put us on here on the earth to like do stuff, you know, to like, uh, to to actually not just survive, but actually be part of the production of, uh, of things. And, and so you guys talked about how you spent time together figuring out what does it look like to cultivate your own little personal garden? Uh, Can you, can you, walk us through that first. I'm just, I I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but I haven't been able to put good language to it yet. I'm still like trying to process it through my mind, but I'm, I'm so passionate about couples, not just like surviving the day to day, but coming together in unity, figuring out how God has uniquely wired them for the sake of his kingdom and how they can be used in like huge ways. And huge doesn't necessarily have to mean like you're going to Africa, although it could mean that, but yeah. God just wants to like use their unique wiring for his glory. And you guys uh, seem to have put some language to that. Can you talk us through like what it means for you guys to cultivate your garden? Yeah, I think for me, I think of the Genesis mandate and, you know, especially for those who are husbands and dads listening, like it's interesting that, um, you know, God never like, like think about God's problem, right? So Genesis, the scene set, he creates the world. He creates this little garden that's really beautiful and flourishing and has plants and animals and just beauty. But yet one thing we don't realize is, you know, and every Hebrew scholar agrees, like it, 
the the whole world did not look like Eden. There was there was like a prototype where the garden looked like the Garden of Eden was what it was, but everything outside of that and the rest of the earth was untamed. It was more wild, chaotic. You kind I kind of think of like Arizona tumbleweeds, you know, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, and 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 God basically said, okay, I need the rest of the world to look like this. Like we have this little prototype and I want the rest of the world to look like this. I want it. I want order to be brought out of chaos, beauty to be, you know, brought out of the dirt and the dust and the ashes and all that. And so then how does God solve that problem? He doesn't, you know, create some machine. He doesn't create a bunch of programs. He doesn't, you know, create, you know, some Bible study. He doesn't do any of that. He literally creates a family. And that's just amazing to me that like, okay, God's answer to like God's answer to the world's first problem, uh, meaning like how is God going to bring the world into order was a husband and a wife with kids. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy. Like we don't think about that, that, that like we wouldn't have wrote that solution. That's for sure. Right. Um, but God did. And so obviously he knew what he was doing. And I think that's what you have to start with. If you are married or if you have, you're married and you have kids like God you now be, and and of course this this is you know it's the mandate goes just as true to single people but because this is you know dad tired podcast and talking in that context but yeah. um yeah like you are entering into that mission and you are entering into that like meaning your family unit is what god is pushing out into the world to create and bring order out of chaos not individual callings and what i mean by that is i think one of the biggest mistakes dads can do is um Oh, my calling is this job, you know, or my calling is this ministry, or I'm called to be a pastor of a church. And it's like, well, is your wife okay that? And is your kids okay that? Because in my opinion, according to scripture, it's a family calling, not a personal calling. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we do is we kind of say, oh yeah, this is what God's going to calling me to do. And so my wife and kids better get on board. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's nothing in scripture to support that. God gives, like when you're single, God gives you a single calling. When you're married, God gives you a married calling. And when you're married with kids, God gives you a family calling. Mm -hmm. And if you continue to progress through those stages, you need to try to rethink about, okay, I just changed stages. So God's going to give me a new calling. What is that? You know? And so all that to say, I think, yeah, that's, you have to just understand that's God's mandate. And so each married couple and family, that's what God has for them. And so then you have to ask, okay, so now that I understand we're a unit, what's God's like vision for my family? What does he want to use? What are we particularly gifted and wired towards our marriage and also our marriage with kids uh, to bring order out of chaos, to bring beauty into this world? And sometimes that can be like what you said, going and doing a huge mission in some regards, or it can just be showing the picture of what a healthy, flourishing family looks like in your neighborhood, or maybe it is the job you have, but your family supports you in that and sends you out the door to bring that back. I think everyone just has to kind of wrestle that out to the ground. And one thing I always suggest to husbands and dads is when I start talking about this, they could be like, oh, that sounds really heavy and a lot of work and I don't know where to start. And I always say the place you should start is with a notebook and 30 minutes once a week. Like literally, if you just give God 30 minutes once a week, which how many hours is there in a week? It's like uh, 168 hours. And so if you just give God one half of one of those by yourself at a coffee shop without the wife and without the kids or whatever, just give him 30 minutes a week with like an open notebook and an open mind and asking him like, what's your vision for our family? Mm -hmm. He'll very much show up in that. And it's that to me doesn't sound that overwhelming of, oh, I can spend 30 minutes once a week. And it's crazy because a lot of us don't like, that's all it takes to just get very much accelerated into the right place of just like space, time 
and like an open mind and prayerfully considering, okay, what is that garden? Because everyone does have to figure that out for themselves. But I think it's clear in scripture that God's idea is that a marriage would do that and that a family would do that. And so I just encourage guys like, hey, it's not this huge thing. Just take a few minutes and just get out of some type of noisy, chaotic setting or whatever it is. If you need to, your job, take a, take a lunch break, whatever, and just seek God's heart for your family. And I think he does big things. It's a good word, man. That's a good word. Um, you have a podcast that you just re-released. You had one before and you kind of have sh- made some changes to it and you, you just mixed it up and re-released it. Tell us about that and then tell us where we can get your book and how to get connected with you. Yeah. So the new podcast is called Love That Lasts based on our new book, Love That Lasts. And it's uh, we kind of do this fun thing where we alternate weeks where one week it's just me and Alyssa kind of talking about life and cracking jokes and just what's on our heart and what's going on. Uh, and then on the alternate weeks, we kind of do this mini series, which I kind of call like NPR serial vibes, which is a little bit more uh, investigative journalism, documentary type, deep dive into why marriages succeed and fail. And uh, yeah, and that's that's a blast. And then our book is Love That Lasts. That can be, that's anywhere, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you can just search our name or the title. And then, uh, yeah, always keep up with us at, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all we're on all the socials. So just look us up and we love, we love making those things two way streets where we can comment back and check in with each other and have a dialogue. So yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, man. And so what I'll say to that is for our listeners first is the podcast, uh, is so good. Like I've been, I've been Thanks, uh, man. this is going to sound weird cause I'm, you know, obviously we have a <laughs> podcast, but I don't listen to very many podcasts. Hey, I'm um, like that too, actually. Yeah. But I've been glued to yours, man. It's so good. Thanks, uh, man. That such good stuff. And the same with your book. Um, it's just such a good book. I would recommend the book for, um, obviously every one of our listeners who's married and parenting, but also we have listeners who have, um, uh, older kids, like teenage kids, junior high, yeah. high school, even some college age kids, definitely it's going to be really good for them too, as they're on their dating journey. Um, it, it speaks to the whole spectrum, but, um, the, the book is really, really good, man. I'm excited for it. When does it actually release? Uh, October 10th. So here soon. And, uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited. And yeah, we, we wrote it with a very specific person in mind, more like kind of like pretty much us, our age, our life season, but now having, having, having heard people's feedback, it's cool to see like what you just said of, we're getting older people fe- giving feedback, younger people, and so it's really cool. Yeah, bro. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us. It means the world to me. Hey, thanks a ton for having me, man. All right, man. See you.